Welcome to the Rise and Search podcast. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, inviting you on an exploration of the global business landscape. Join me as we discover insights from world-class professionals. Matt Smedley, thank you for joining us. If you wouldn't mind, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, my name is Matt Smedley. I'm the Executive Director and CEO at Mission Possible. We operate in the downtown east side of Vancouver and uh, care for individuals who are struggling with poverty in this community and ultimately are helping support folks uh, navigate a journey back to employment. Okay, very good, Rick. What do you think is most misunderstood about people in poverty from the greater population? Yeah, I mean, poverty comes with a lot of stigma. A lot of people, and myself as well, growing up, didn't really understand it and kind of blamed people for their own situation and kind of buy into these these kind of big myths that if you work hard enough, if you don't make dumb mistakes, then everything will work out fine for you and you're going to live a long, happy life. And that's just not reality for anybody that I know, but especially for people struggling with poverty. I mean, there's so many factors that ultimately lead to people finding themselves there, but also the challenges of of breaking those cycles of poverty are incredibly hard. And so it's something that requires some both, I think, desire to understand it. Some people, you know, for them, they they figure, oh, I'm doing okay. So, you know, they just aren't as smart or as work as hard as me. And so there there can be a lack of desire to actually understand some of the the factors that really keep people kind of locked into uh, into poverty and and uh, prevent the yeah just the ability to move forward from that. What led to you becoming involved in this space? You know, for me, <laughs> funny story, like I grew up in a rural area and just seeing the, you know, we had lots of, of poor neighbors who lived around us. You know, it wasn't necessarily a low income area, but certainly not a wealthy area, but didn't see the kind of levels of poverty that, that often happen in, in urban areas. And so, you know, for me to to come to Vancouver, really not exposed to a lot of poverty myself. For one, it was it was just a learning opportunity, like it was a from from day one. But also, it, it completely began to shift and change my own understanding of poverty of of individuals who are experiencing poverty and a lot of intergenerational poverty. And and so, ultimately, what got me involved here was the chance to volunteer. And lots of people volunteer at organizations and they do it with good hearts and good intentions. They want to help out. And I think that's why, why most people do it. But the reality is when you volunteer and you kind of get connected to a community that, that really is struggling, you can't help but be changed yourself. And so for me, really, that's what happened. Um, it was a personal transformation that, that I experienced just through being part of this community, through getting to know people, hearing their stories and beginning to understand with a much deeper personal way of what just the struggles are, what what life is like, and and for a lot of people, what has what has brought them to this place, and how they ended up in this community, um, which most people most people aren't from this community uh, in the downtown east side. I mean, it's a it's a fairly transient area, but uh, many have been here for a long time, and so just to hear what life is like, uh, the challenges that they have faced, they're incredible. And it really makes me, as, as I reflect on myself and my own resiliency or lack thereof, just realizing that if I was in their situation, I don't know if I could, if I could make it, <laughs> to be quite honest. You know, like incredible people have endured some really incredible hardships and they're just inspiring to me, really amazing people. 
Nice. It seems like the community is growing. Is that the case? And if so, what do you think the factors are that contribute to that? When you say the community, who are you referring to? I guess the homeless and poverty stricken on the downtown east side in particular, but perhaps just generally as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the downtown east side as a kind of geographic community is growing. Part of that is through gentrification. There's really some some of the last low-cost properties in Vancouver that kind of sit right on the edge of the of downtown. And so we do see the pressure from developers and things like that that are that are kind of changing the landscape that way. We've got a, a hospital, a massive new state-of-the-art facility that's happening right in our community that we know is going to have long-term impacts on in changing really we'll, we'll end up gentrifying the community further, which creates more challenges for low-income individuals who are here. The reason this community has so many individuals who are experiencing poverty living in it is because it's it's one of the only places in Vancouver you can find low-cost housing. And so there's thousands of rooms that are century-old hotels that have been turned into housing for, for individuals. They're low-income housing. Many of them are really terrible buildings. They are run down. They are in disrepair. They are, they're not run well and um, really are, are not suitable for housing at the end of the day. But it's, it's all that we have for thousands of rooms and it makes it really difficult. Just to answer the kind of the, the numbers question around why are we seeing more and more people becoming homeless, you know, and, and, and on the streets. And, you know, that really comes down to just kind of the general shifts that we see happening in our economy. We see housing prices just continuing to escalate and escalate, which makes it really difficult to be able to afford decent housing. We see just inadequate health care, mental health care, you know, to be able to really address the uh, really complex needs people have. And uh, a lot of times people will shift to self-medicating through drug use or alcohol, things like that. And Lack of lack of supports there to adequately meet those needs as well, and so that continues to to grow. And at the end of the day, the the housing crisis is really starting to actually hit the federal level. And we hear our federal politicians acknowledging, yes, we're in a we're in a housing crisis. I mean, everybody else has seen this coming for twenty years, and we're really starting to see the effects of it. My guess is we're going to see the number of of people experiencing homelessness continue to rise. It's not going to fall, and we we just aren't creating the housing that's needed to actually to house the the folks who need it. We're actually seeing a decrease in number of, of units available in the downtown east side. That's come through a number of hotels being condemned and closed down. Some have caught fire and burned. We've seen those those get lost. We're now seeing our housing that is has been in, in the works, you know, permanent housing that is, is being built. There's a number of sites where there has been temporary modular housing set on those sites. And then uh, with the intention, they'll be there for five years or so while, you know, we go through these pre-development stages and then build these these towers to create more housing. And as we're, we're at that place in some of those sites, which is great because at the end of the day, we're going to have more housing. But those temporary modular housing units are not being relocated within the city. They're being actually moved out of the city is the intention. And so we'll be losing that housing as well. In the meantime, while they're building more housing, it's just it's a really complicated thing. and the just managing the numbers of it is really difficult. And we, we aren't seeing even the numbers being projected for new units meeting 
the actual needs that we currently have. I see. For folks who are working very hard and trying to keep up with the competitive landscape, I'm sure all of our hearts go out to this problem and our fellow brethren. But it seems sometimes perhaps like too big of a problem to even know where to begin to address it with the little spare money, little spare time that we may have. How would you recommend that people get involved, that people can help? Yeah, you know, I think when it comes to the housing side of things, it really is going to take some some real political will to have, see it accomplished because it, it is going to be an initial investment that's going to sound really, you know, like some really big numbers. But at the end of the day, it costs us more to have people unhoused than it actually costs us to house them. With emergency services, our healthcare costs, all the community, you know, supports, all of that stuff together, it, it costs it costs far more than to actually build the adequate housing that's needed. And so there's a real fiscal argument there that we need. I feel like just the if the general public was aware of that, that could really help to make those who actually have the power, you know, who kind of hold the public purse to be able to say, you know, we're going to make this investment. And in the long term, we're going to both care for our, our citizens, and we're going to reduce our costs in doing so. That would be the smart thing to do. And so um, for people to get involved, I think it's just being aware of what the situation is. And so when it comes to electing officials, you know, and things like that, to know that they, there needs to be people who are are committed to seeing real systemic change happen. On an individual basis, I think just to continue to learn, to try to understand the complexities of poverty, of so many people have experienced trauma, have multiple multiple diagnoses of, of different illnesses and things like that. There, there's just so much complexity around, you know, what, what leads people to to poverty or keeps people in poverty that in just educating and, and being aware of that, that really that can begin to shift some of the stigma that just continues, right? The stereotypes and the misunderstandings, you know, that people who are in poverty are, it's their own fault. They're, they're lazy. They're, you know, you, you name it, all the different types of, of stereotypes that are there. And I'm just helping to approach it with some openness and understanding. And then I would just say, if you have the opportunity for, engagement like I did to volunteer somewhere to actually get to know and hear the stories and, and build some relationships with people. That firsthand knowledge is is really what I, I think that's just what's most powerful and, and what begins to really shift things for, for individuals. And, and I think that can have a, a real long-term impact. Okay. Thank you. Could you share a couple of wins, a couple of good stories that, that you've witnessed in your time at Mission Possible? Yeah, for sure. Lots of those. I've got a few people who are near and dear to my heart. One of them is one of the first people that I ever started working with in our social enterprises. And this was 10, 15 years ago now. Um, an individual who struggled for decades with alcoholism just due to a workplace injury. And, you know, his his existence was really just kind of getting through each day in order to have a six pack at night and, and just wanted to, that was kind of his existence. But when he got connected to Mission Possible and, and started working, it was really, it was an individual living in his building who, who said, hey, you should go check these guys out, you know, and his life really began to change just through kind of breaking out of the isolation that he was experiencing. 
he ended up getting a job outside of Mission Possible after that and was working for a store here in Vancouver and worked there for quite a while and moved out of the neighborhood, moved into some housing, you know, up closer to where he was working. His his life just completely began to change. And it was really through the opportunity to have a job, but it was really the connections, right? A job really connects us to other people and helps to just deepen the relationships that we have and and gives us a sense of purpose and and a sense of dignity. And he really experienced that and his life was was completely different. There's a a woman more recently who uh, had been in addiction for about 20 years and hadn't worked and, uh, you know, was able to get get some support with her recovery. And right out of her recovery, came to work at Mission Possible and was just somebody who is such an, an amazing person, so warm, caring, kind, and she was able to just take the the opportunity that that was given here to to build some experience and ultimately build her confidence to show her that you know even even though she hasn't been working for 20 years she has been able to kind of move forward and and get reattached to work and now she's has moved in she's working at BC Place and she's really thriving she's reconnected with family and is just doing fantastic i just saw her on the street yesterday it was just great to Great to see her and where her, her life has gone just just because she took advantage of an opportunity that was given to her and kind of believed in herself and had a, pe- a group of people around her to say, you've got this and you know we're going to support you through this. One other one that comes to mind is an individual very similar. You know, he's crazy stories like he's he has overdosed a number of times. You know, he's, he said his heart has stopped like 13 times or something like like just really not a person who should be should be alive anymore to be be quite honest like he's that's the way he sees it but he came into our doors he started working and really life began to change for him as well he just through the process of this whole changing confidence this the way he viewed himself just realized he's got family he's really been estranged from and you know has always felt this kind of sense of shame and in, in reaching out to them just because of where he was but because he had he'd been working he'd been Moving forward in his recovery, reconnected with his family back east, ended up making making good connections, going back to visit. And then while he was working with us, he met someone and ended up having a, a, an amazing new relationship in his life. And a little while later, the two of them decided to move back east so he could be near his family, which wasn't anywhere in, in his realm of possibility prior to that. And so... I could I could go on, but just amazing stories, but really amazing people. I mean, just the gifts, the the skills, the abilities, the experiences they've been through. Just I mean, for me, like I try to view them all as teachers to me, right? Like there's just so so much I can learn from from their experience and who they are and what they've been through. That's a beautiful way to put it, seeing them all as teachers. I think each of us is amazing. Honestly, sounds like maybe a throwaway line, but I really think it's true. You uh, shouldn't give up on anyone. You never know where that surprise is going to come from. And it's really wonderful that you've seen so many of these cases already and many more to come, I'm sure. Bittersweet foretelling there, but that's really a kind of a, almost a humorous uh, story. It's like your one-stop shop uh, mission possible. Get a career, get a partner, like uh, your whole, <laughs> that's right. so it's, it's, like, it's like you pull in for a, a car wash. It's like, do you want the wax? Do you want this? It's like, yeah, give me exactly. the whole package. Talk. Yeah. That's beautiful. What are some challenges that Mission Possible faced with you at the helm and how did you overcome them? 
Yeah. Oh man. Well, I would say, I mean, just kind of COVID aside, like that, that whole thing was a, that was a challenge for everybody. So nothing unique in there. The only thing I, I, I would say about that is that, that was a real opportunity to, for us to learn about the power of work. When COVID hit, there was, nobody knew what to do. And so we, we essentially told folks who were working with us at the time, you know, if you, if you don't feel comfortable and you want to pause your contract with us, you know, you can do that, come back, you know, when you're, you feel it's safe to do so. But we, we never shut our doors. We continued to work. And there was, we actually increased the amount of work that we were doing. A lot of the services that we provide through our social enterprises were actually in, in greater demand because of COVID. And so there was more work to be done. But the individuals who continued working really showed just a really strong sense of, of resilience and stability. They were able to show up every day, continue to work. And, you know, we had lots of safety protocols in place and things like that. But but for just their mental health and their emotional health, they were really, really did quite well. For those who stopped working, we we really tried to stay connected just through phone calls and, and things like that, just to check in on folks. And the amount of individuals who had relapsed after years of sobriety, people who had really just kind of moved into deep depression and things like that. It was really sad, but really demonstrated how how important it is for people to have a job, to be able to, to have something that is there for them to give them a sense of purpose, to connect them with others and, and really provide them with stability. And so that was, that was a huge lesson for us in just kind of you know, in, in hindsight, just demonstrating how important work is for people. And so when people are struggling with poverty and things like that, and they're excluded from work opportunities because they've been out of work or they had an injury or, or whatever, that for us as a society, we need to work hard to create inclusive workplaces that will welcome people, will give people an opportunity and really help to build their, their professional skills and things like that. Really critical. Other challenges that we've had I run a charity, you know, that runs two social enterprises. And, and so that the thing that I tell people is it's people and money. Those are always the challenge. And I don't, I don't know if it'll ever not be a challenge. <laughs> so on the people side, it's really, we're always looking for individuals to come join our team who have a deep care for people who have an understanding of the downtown East side and, and kind of a real desire, even if they don't, they're not experts in, you know, in, in some of the issues around poverty and things like that, but they have a desire to learn and kind of contribute that way. Really important. And it's it's always hard to find people, but where we're at right now, where things have really shifted from COVID in kind of what people want out of a workplace and things like that and what they're looking for, it's always hard to, to find folks. And so we're, we're always doing our best to, to change and adapt to, to find really good talent and bring in the right people to help care for this community. And then on the funding side, we're, we have this uh, mixed blessing of we, we both have the problems of a for-profit business because we run two social enterprise businesses. And we also have the challenges of, of fundraising on, on the charity side. <laughs> and so, Best of both worlds. Best of both worlds, exactly. And so for us, it's, it's really about partnerships. That's, that's how we, the only way that we can do this work is if we have partners who come alongside us, they understand what we're doing, and they, they ultimately want to be part of, of the solution. And so we're always looking for individuals who can be customers of ours, who can be donors, you know, to support our, our charity or people who can be employers. We have people graduating from our program all the time who are, are looking to move into work in, in somebody's business, you know, who has uh, ability to be a bit of a 
intentional, inclusive employer, right? They, they're willing to offer a little extra support, recognizing somebody's still on, on a journey of, of moving toward stability and, and really kind of growing professionally. And so um, somebody who's willing to offer a little extra support is really what we're looking for. And so finding partners who want to come alongside us and provide some of those opportunities is that's, that's what we need. We have way more people in this community that are looking for employment than we could ever hire. And so for us, it's about giving people that starting place and that opportunity to then be able to, to move into employment elsewhere outside of, of Mission Possible. Thanks for sharing that. You've been in this space for a while. Do you still have bouts of imposter syndrome? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that seems to never go away. <laughs> so I hear. What are some of the strategies that you use to, to deal with it as we all are going to deal with it? Yeah. One of the things that has been most meaningful for me is having a really good coach, mainly because it just gives me an opportunity to verbalize what's spinning around my head. And when I hear it said out loud, it's usually sometimes it's it's humorous, right? Like, I can't believe I even think that. <laughs> and so I think it's it's really helpful to have somebody who recognizes what you have done, what you have been through, the depth of experience that you, you do have understands the skills and, and, and gifts that you bring. But I also think there's some value in imposter syndrome and in that it, it helps to keep us humble, right? It, it's one of those things of recognizing I am just a person. I recognize I've, I've had the opportunity to do the work that I've, I've done, have the training I've had, experiences that I've had. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just a, another guy sitting in this seat, you know, doing this job and ultimately helps to, to keep me grounded a bit and keep things from from going to my head, you know, that somehow I'm, I'm something more special than other people. So I, I think there's some value in in that in it in it continuing and, and not necessarily going away. <laughs> Just for those reasons. It keeps you in a learner's mindset. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What are some of your plans moving forward, like over the next year, couple of years? Really looking to continue to expand what we're already doing. And that's really just based on on the demand that we're getting from the community. We've had twice as many people walking through our doors wanting to start work than we did, you know, prior to the pandemic. And so that's uh, fantastic that, you know, we can provide opportunities for folks, but we can't meet the needs. And so for us, it's about continuing to grow. And so we're trying to do that through a couple different ways. Some is just expanding what we're currently doing into other areas, looking to try to forge a way into some, some other neighboring cities of Vancouver, you know, to be able to provide employment opportunities there. But also, we're trying to explore some options for starting some new businesses as well that will give ultimately will be a bit more accessible for folks. Um, we do have a number of individuals with physical disabilities and, and things like that, that that just don't have the same the same level of physical ability when it comes to doing labor and, and different things like that. And so trying to factor in all those needs from individuals in the community to kind of hone in on on what it is that we want to want to pursue as our as our next business opportunity and social enterprise. Do you speak at all with other not-for-profits or charities across Canada and North America to get ideas and share resources at all? I mean, certainly all the time working with local local ones here in Vancouver and have opportunity to to talk with some across the province and in in other provinces and in Canada. 
which is is always great and really trying to to see some of the innovative things that others are doing. I would say less so in, in the US. There's not really not been as much kind of connection or opportunity with some of the, the businesses or social enterprises in the US. But uh, certainly within Canada, yeah, there there is some amazing, amazing individuals really doing some some innovative things and even some some networks that kind of keep us all connected as well by Social Canada and some of those those things that are really there to just support social enterprises in their development, but also try to build awareness for other industries and things like that to be able to purchase from social enterprises and continue to to grow the segment or market segment that that social enterprises have and in that deepening the social impact that that we can make. I like to make a hard pivot. You ride a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. How long have you ridden? <laughs> I bought my first motorcycle when I was 11. And so just a few years. A few years, yeah. There was probably about a, oh, I don't know, 15, 20-year gap in there where I didn't ride at all. And yeah, just started riding again back in, in 2016. And so it's it's fantastic. It's one of those things that you know I tell people every time I... I get on my bike. It's like I'm taking a mini vacation. It's a mindfulness activity. You know, it's a super fun activity and I love it, but it also connects me to a lot of really amazing people. There's some kind of great motorcycle communities around and those, yeah, those have really just allowed me to meet lots of great folks and and have some really fun experiences, you know, especially doing the off-road riding out in the bush and, and things like that's Total, what are some yeah, of your favorite routes? Oh, well, I'd say most of it is is kind of local here to Vancouver in the Squamish area or, or out in the valley a little bit. Um, but I do love riding out in the Okanagan. There's just a lot more area, um, a lot more roads and trails and things like that. So you can kind of get lost for days up there. It's It's fantastic. And then had the opportunity this summer to do a long road ride. So I rode up to... Uh, white horse up in Yukon territories and wow. from Vancouver three day, from Vancouver yeah and so don't realize how big BC is till you try to ride to the top of it and so you know it takes you three days to get up there but uh, just amazed how beautiful northern BC is and just the mountains are stunning the whole way you know it feels like the whole way up riding up the coast there and so that was incredible yeah really fortunate to be able to have done that this summer what would you say to people thinking about getting their motorcycle license? I would say it's incredible. It's a lot of fun, but know the risk. It's a very risky thing. Had uh, somebody say the other day, um, I was at a, at a group event and he said he, his family you know, comes from a family of doctors and nurses and things like that. And so they don't call it a motorcycle. They call it a donor cycle because you're, you know, you got lots of motorcyclists who end up as organ donors. And that's just the reality, recognizing, you know, there's there's risk involved. And so how you mitigate that risk is to, one, not be crazy on, on a motorcycle, but two, to make sure you have really good training. And so do a motorcycle course, make sure you learn and, and take the, the education part really seriously. And that can that ultimately might help save your life. But just to be aware, it's, it is an inherently risky activity. And so do what you can to mitigate that. Duly noted. Well, Matt Smedley, is there anything we didn't get to touch on that you wanted to mention? 
you know, I, I think we covered most of it for me, but I just want to say thanks for the opportunity to, to share and yeah, share a bit of my experience. And thanks for asking about motorcycles too. Like, you know, I could talk about those for days, but yeah, it's been great talking with you. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure. And I'll put the link to the website in the show notes. Is there anywhere else that people should head to if they want to follow up on what you're doing? Sure. Yeah, they can go to www.mission-possible.ca. So a dash or hyphen there in the middle of our, our name. And uh, you can find us on, on Facebook and Instagram, things like that as well. But you can get those links on our website. And uh, yeah, there's some great videos on there that really tell the, the stories from individuals that we get to work with. And those you know, firsthand stories are, are really the best ones. I'm not, I'm not very good at telling other people's stories. They should, they should be able to tell them themselves. And so if you get a chance to watch some of those videos, they're, they're really meaningful and both inspire and educate a bit in, in what life is like for people experiencing poverty. Okay. Well, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rise and Search podcast. I hope that our conversation has sparked some new ideas and given you valuable insights that you can carry forward in your own journey. Until next time, eyes on the horizon. Mm-hmm.